three, two, one. Dave Cherry, how are you? Thanks for coming in today to the uh, Landed Statement at Work podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, good. So just a, a little bit about Dave before we jump into the conversation. So um, so Dave, Dave runs uh, what's called Cherry Advisory, um, specializing primarily in customer experience strategy work. Um, so, Dave, why don't you just elaborate a little more on, on what that means, and then I'll kind of tee up the conversation today, all right? Sure. Happy to do that, Chris. Well, well, first off, we have the entire advisory here with you in the studio today. Excellent. Uh, I'm surprised so we got them all in the room. <laughs> we, we did. Sometimes it's a challenge, but uh, it's just me, which uh, we'll tell you more about why I think that's an important piece. But with Cherry Advisory and with my customer experience strategy, what I try to do is help organizations that are in the customer experience industry and by the way, that's everybody who has customers. Mm -hmm. Help them figure out how to differentiate, how to create unique experiences that create connections with those customers. When they figure out how to do that, eventually or ultimately we're going to have certain gaps. Those gaps need to be closed with innovation and technology and they need to be measured and those decisions informed with analytics. So exactly how they do that and to create those lasting connections and relationships with their customers that's what I try to help companies achieve. Got it. Got it. Well, I mean, it sounds like a real grind working for your company. I, are, you, are you interested in learning more about uh, unionization by any chance? Uh, not, not yet. You know, I'm, I'm actually been doing this now for seven years, Chris. And, and interestingly <laughs> enough, for seven years running, I've won both the best boss and the best employee <laughs> of the ward in ununanimous votes every year. So I'm, I'm gunning for year eight this year. It'll yeah, be a record. Yeah, I'm having a low employee employee engagement day. Um, so, uh, so at any rate, uh, well, listen, you know, the reason we wanted to have you in today to go a little bit deeper, we did, um, we did a panel at our launch event, uh, a week ago and you were on it along with some other distinguished guests. And by the way, I, we got some really good feedback from that. Um, people really liked kind of the, um, you know, the succinctness of the answers and the variety. And, and, you know, I saw people taking notes. That's always a, a good thing. Um, but part of the conversation that we had with you um, and, it, and it certainly relates back to, um, you know, something that we're doing here in a philosophy we have here. And that is, um, you know, when, when companies think about not only their candidate experience, um, so these are individuals who are in the job market outside of the organization, um, could be inside the organization too, I guess, if you're an internal applicant. Um, but, you know, not only the candidate experience, but also the internal employee experience, we started asking a question that was really not from a human resources point of view at all. Um, and in fact, we started looking um, outside of HR to ask the right questions. And, and where Dave and I kind of landed on this a while ago was that the, the customer experience world is probably the best place to look and the best place to benchmark. And we started asking the question, you know, what if you treated your candidates like customers? What would what would the world look like then? What would that experience look like then? It would look very different, I would assume, from what um, uh, um, from what a lot of candidates experience today. And then on the flip side of that, it's it's what if you treated your employees like customers? Then then what would that look like? And how would you structure programs, policies, et cetera? Would that look different? So um, that's what we wanted to bring you back in today. Just to, you know, I know you had a five-minute answer. It was on point and everything, but I thought we could go a little more long-form today to discuss that. Sound good? Yeah, you know, ha happy to do that. And Chris, I want to first echo the 
you know, appreciation for that panel that you brought together because not only did I also get some great feedback from the, the audience, a lot of stuff obviously through LinkedIn, a lot of people reaching out, uh, but what was also outstanding, quite frankly, was the connections and relationships and the experience, I'll call it from the panelist experience perspective. Mm -hmm. um, not only being able to connect us, but, you know, Kathy, Dawn, Steve, you know, um, Beth, Dave, myself, we've all had conversations since that time. Oh, so good. That, you know, when you bring good people together to talk about an important topic, it's not just the audience that learns and gains value from that interaction, but as panelists, we did the same thing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, and I won't let the audience know what divas you guys were. <laughs> I, you know, we accidentally didn't remove, per your request, the green M&Ms green from the, uh, the M&M bowl, and they, and they trashed the place. So um, I'm just kidding, of yeah. course. But, uh, but at any rate, so um, let's get into the discussion, though, um, because I, I, I really do want your take and, and um, you know, really want to kind of leverage the experience you've had yeah. in the customer experience space. So... <clears throat> You know, if you think about um, the typical candidate experience, and I, I don't know if you've been through a process recently or in, if you have recent memory of one, but, you know, we're working with people in the job market all the time, and, and we just continue to get uh, feedback from professionals in the job market who say, man, like, the experience I'm, I'm having as a candidate with company X is really not very good um, there. And I'll just describe some things that we hear, um, uh, you know, long gaps in communication um, or, you know, recruiter says, hey, you know, you'll hear back from us Friday and nothing comes. Um, sometimes those gaps in communication can go weeks and, you know, the candidates wondering what the heck's going on. Um, sometimes they don't get a call back. They don't get feedback if they're not selected or they go through the interview process and they get some, you know, system generated rejection email, um, even though they, you know, prepared for that interview and, and, and came in live and took time off work, et cetera. And so we keep hearing this and, and it's just, it's mind boggling to us in, in a climate that we're in now with, you know, historically low unemployment, um, the world for, war for talent is just on, like, Donkey Kong right now and and I mean do you think employers realize kind of what that experience is do you think they care what do you think that is so a couple questions that you asked there Chris um, I I don't believe that they really know and understand however I do believe that they care I do believe they're authentic, typically, and, and you're going to stereotype and generalize mm -hmm. a little bit here, of course. Um, I do believe that they care. I don't, I don't think employers in general are intending to be non-responsive, intending to give a terrible experience, mm -hmm. <clears throat> intending not to understand the candidate or employee's motivations or needs uh, or mindset. But they, they fail to do it, I think, for a number of different reasons. Um, and all of them <coughs> are additive in terms of creating a negative candidate employee experience. For one, we've typically, and I, and I started my career off in HR, like I told you many, yeah. many years ago, yep. so I'm not you know, in intentionally bashing any of our, our HR <laughs> friends, but we have individuals that are being tasked organizationally to hire for a role that they may not understand either functionally or technically what the role actually does and the key skills and requirements to be successful. A manager who often doesn't have time says, 
hey, HR, here's the job rec, here's the job description, and I'm going to put every buzzword in the industry that I can think of because I don't have the time to really be disciplined and brief and say this is exactly what I'm looking for. So you've got HR out there trying to find candidates, not understanding what the role is, what the accountabilities are, what they're actually looking for. <clears throat> and a lot of times, those folks haven't been in the job market recently. And so there's still a mindset, you know, pick company X. And, you know, if you look downtown in Columbus here and you look at all the big companies downtown, we're not going to single anybody out. But I think there's still a lot of organizations that think that they're almost doing the, the candidate or the associate a favor by hiring them or keeping them right. employed. Right. And, re- and thinking that, oh, no, it, it's a pleasure to be working for us at Company X. Right. <clears throat> I have the, again, not the intention, but I have the ability to treat you inadequately. Mm-hmm. And you're going to deal with that because it's so important to you that you work for my company. I, right. I think one of the things, if you remember back at the panel, we talked about the analogy between customers and employees. Mm-hmm. So if we back up, you know, 15 plus years ago, if you wanted to go and buy a shirt, you had a couple of different options. You drove to the nearest mall or the nearest specialty store, or maybe if you were lucky, you took a trip, say, to New York City and you went to a specific place and you got a shirt that was only available there. We were limited by geography in where customers could interact with retailers, with merchants to get products and services that we wanted. In the exact same way, we live here in Columbus. So the employers are limited to those geographically headquartered in Columbus or if they have a branch office in Columbus, right? Mm-hmm. I can't go work for somebody in Philadelphia if I live in Columbus, right? right. That's 15 years yep. ago. Fast forward to today, I can pick up my cell phone and buy a shirt from a retailer in Italy mm-hmm. in you know, you name it, wherever in the world in two seconds. Likewise, with all of the remote work capabilities and, and, and Skype and, and – um, you know, digital access and uh, Slack and collaboration tools. I can work for a company not only based across the country, I can work for a company across the globe. Right. And there's doesn't require me to leave Columbus because I love mm-hmm. living in Columbus. Mm-hmm. So I'm less tied to you as an organization. I don't know that organizations, I think they're realizing they want remote workers. They need to facilitate that, but they're not yet at the point realizing that their workforce can go anywhere else Mm -hmm. unless they build that connection, that relationship with them as people. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing that where you talk about the synergies and the commonalities between the customer experience and the employee experience, customers and employees are people. And people respond to relationships mm-hmm. that are built, that are genuine and authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. I mean, I think um, <clears throat> in the end, yeah, you know, there, there's a salary that's attached with it. There's the work itself, which is important. But um, to your point, I think the the kicker for people is sort of that connection um, that they feel to the organization. And it starts um, with that recruiting team. Um, you know, just a, a, a few things that, um, that, that I think we've run into to, to kind of explain some of this is, you know, you know part of it is, I think, just history. Um, you know, a lot of the, the recruiting organizations that we consult with, they've just been kind of doing it the same way. Or you, you, you see, when you ask the question, like, well, how come you do it that way? Like, what do your, what do your candidates think of that? Um, 
you you can tell sometimes that the question hasn't been asked because usually um, processes and practices are put in place that serve the organization, right? It's not, yeah. they're not kind of thinking about it from the other way around. Um, but just a few other things that um, that we think might be the culprit here. I mean, one, I mean, you were from HR. I mean, you remember recruiters. I mean, they're, they're on a treadmill a lot of the times, and they're carrying a lot of open recs at the same time. And, you know, what are they incented on? Um, they're incented on time to fill. How fast can you fill that? They're not really incented on what was the, you know, what was the quality of the experience that the, um, that the candidate had. So they're not really measured on it. Therefore, mm -hmm. you know, it probably guides some behavior. Um, and oftentimes there aren't great analytics either. So sometimes when these recruiters get on the treadmill, um, what's really happening behind the scenes is that um, there's also turnover. There's a leaky bucket on the other end that's kind of creating that treadmill. And without really good real-time analytics, it's hard to have those kind of internal conversations to say, hey, I, you know, running faster isn't the solution here, right? Can we look at other ways to kind of retain talent, et cetera? Um, but, you know, the one thing I wanted to, to get to ask you is just even the word itself, candidate. Um, and I think you were kind of touching on this before. I, I'll flip it back over to you. But there is sort of this, ex or the, the, this perspective that, you know, you want to work here. Um, and just the word candidate, if you think about how it's used in our everyday life, you have presidential candidate, right? So that's, that's kind of top of mind right now. Yep. But what does that mean? It means that they have to, the, the onus is on them um, to really put the, their best foot forward, to sell the public on their candidacy. It's all on them. Um, there's very little. Uh, responsibility on the other side. The candidate can just decide to buy or sell, right, or hold. Mm -hmm. And and I think just in the word, and words are powerful, I think the word candidate used in that context um, really does kind of drive that mentality. What do you think about that? No, I, I think you're right because, I, I, again, I do think that they're looking at the individual again as you will be fortunate to work here. You're the one that wants the job. You need us more than we need you. Mm -hmm. And they won't say that out loud, but I think there's a kind of implied bias in that. And I think one of the ways that that's manifested, and I'm gonna go back a couple of years, because I've been independently consulting now for seven years, so mm -hmm. it's been a while since I was in an organization, but I'd be curious, and your, your expertise is more current, how much this has changed. But when I was back in industry, there was, zero training of anybody in a functional leadership position. So mm -hmm. I was a vice president in an organization and I had my experiences about what I needed to do to interview. So mm -hmm. if I was hiring a director, I basically built my plan. I figured out how many people were gonna interview the, the person uh, and so forth. But there wasn't a lot of help to say, this is how we interview. These are the attributes that we should be looking for to be successful. Mm -hmm. This is how we should be selling the company. This is how we should be expressing and educating on our culture right. and our purpose, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Everything was all about, even if you look at the evaluation forms, we always simply evaluated the candidate, right? Mm -hmm. One to five, strong hire, strong no hire, somewhere in the middle. And it's all about the candidate. Right. Nowhere did I ever see an evaluation that said, did we explain ourselves well? 
Did we educate the candidate? Did right. we treat them with respect? And, and all the things that as humans we would want to have, right. but we never looked back on ourselves. And, and I sat through these multiple times where you come in and you have a full day interview or you fly out right. two, three days interviewing person right. after it's person. Brutal. And by the fourth one, you're like, have these guys coordinated? Right. I'm just getting the exact same questions right. or I'm getting the lazy interview. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dave, walk me through your resume. Right. Right. You know they haven't looked at it yet. No. And, and I understand part of the reason for that is they're so busy. Yeah. And they needed the role filled because they're shorthanded. Mm-hmm. But they're still not investing. Again, in general, are you investing the time to make sure that then that candidate walks through that experience? They walk out at the end of the day saying, oh, my gosh, i got to work here. Right. This place is fantastic. These people care. Um, they barely know me. Mm-hmm. But they were authentic. They showed that they cared about me. And it wasn't just a transactional situation where they're trying to fill a wreck because they mm-hmm. got an opening and they need some heads. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I went through a, a, a process with, um, God, it was Domino's years ago. And um, and I think, yeah, so Spencer Stewart, so the, you know, executive search firm, they, they were running that search. But I got to tell you, the experience was so good. Um, I, I was the runner up to that one. I walked away with a really, really um, good impression of both both Domino's and Spencer's store. I mean, I, I just seriously. I mean, even after that, I, I spoke when you know when people would ask me about that process, I would say, yeah, you know, didn't make it through, but um, wow, what a great company mm-hmm. and what a great experience for me. Um, and so, you know, the, the reverse of that could be true though as well, right? If it's if it's if it went the other way, yeah. Um, and, and people do, do talk about it and people do listen, but you know, you were, you were getting at something that, that kind of piqued my interest because we've gone down this path now with a couple of clients. So you're talking about kind of looking at the interview process, um, holistically, like it, and, and, you know, in, in training managers on not only how to interview, but, but, you know, on how to deliver a, a really good experience, um, yeah, I think any recruiter right now listening to this would be like, oh, my God, just one more thing I got to do. Um, I'm starting to think that and maybe maybe we can steal a page from your customer experience world. But does it make sense to have somebody in an organization who wakes up every single day thinking about all the touch points, um, not only as a candidate, but maybe even as an employee? Like what what are all the touch points and how do we? optimize or maximize each of those touch points and, and then, you know, build the program, then train everybody. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you actually do see in organizations now, and it's, I actually just saw a presentation earlier. It's, it's only about 10 to 15% of the Fortune 500 have a chief customer officer mm-hmm. or a chief customer experience officer. But you know, a year or so ago, that number was even smaller. So that number is rising mm-hmm. rapidly. Mm-hmm. We're going to start to see chief customer and chief experience officers all over the place. Mm-hmm. Now, technically, your CHRO is this person, but I don't know how many of them think of themselves yeah. as the chief employee experience officer. Right. And to your point, I would love to see any organization, and honestly, it doesn't matter if you're a 10-person organization, somebody needs to play the role. If you're a 100,000-person employee, one Mm -hmm. of the big uh, downtowns, high-rises, right? Uh, You should have a chief employee experience officer. And and I don't know that you you optimize and fix everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Because again, that's kind of like boiling the ocean. But you've got to understand 
what are the main factors that go into the employee experience? How do we build programs that are going to maximize the, the employee experience for the majority, but also recognizing, and I'm going to go back a little bit. Remember, we talked yeah. on one of the panel topics. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to understand. So we're talking employees now as opposed to candidates, but so right. let's stick there for a second. Yeah. Every employee has a different personal motivation for wanting to work for your company. And we can put in different programs. We can put in a wellness program, and we can put in a gym, and we can put in, you know, all kinds of things. And we're going to get a bulk of people. But we have to understand, why do people want to work for our company? If we think about the the major motivations we talked about from a customer standpoint around increasing pleasure, it's the brand and the quality that that imposes. It's also service. Mm -hmm. And reducing pain is on value and convenience. So when we translate that to the employee standpoint, you know, it's the brand name. I like working for Nationwide Insurance because Nationwide Insurance is a respected name. It gives me pride to tell people I work for Nationwide right. Insurance except yep. I mean, and pick so many great companies in Columbus. Mm-hmm. But people, you can see their chests swell up when they say who they work for, right? Some people, that's their motivation. Yes. I want to work for that company, right? right? Uh, others, you want to get the, the right service. So again, locally, cover my meds. God, you got to work here. We get free lunch every right. day. What a great service. It's super convenient. It's super healthy. And if that's the reason I want to work at Cover My Meds, fantastic. We go to another employer on that value standpoint and say, you know what? I like to work at, at this company because guess what? They pay the most. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to maximize my earning potential because this company, I don't care that I work 70, 80 hour weeks. I'm making the most money, the best incentive compensation, long-term grants, all that good stuff. But then you've got convenience. I've got great work-life balance. This place is close to home. So why is the individual, why does that individual want to work for the company? Spend the time to really get to know your individual associates, Mm -hmm. understand what is driving them. And then we add on some of the other factors we talked about in the panel. Who is working uh, two jobs and just trying to make ends meet? Who's a year or two away from retirement Mm -hmm. just trying to make sure they get there and have stability? Whose aspiration is to be the CEO? I mean, you, you layer in, now you get multiple dimensions, but at the bottom line is, Take the time to understand each individual associate. What motivates him or her? Right. What is she or he trying to do? Right. How do I help them get there? And guess what? This is actually one of the, the best learnings, and I, I won't tell you the whole story, but if that best opportunity is with a different company, that's okay. Right. Let's keep that talent in Columbus. Yeah. I used to have those conversations yeah. all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, and the more, the more you're talking – I, I almost feel like um, the tools are available to certainly um, understand your customers at an individual level. I mean, you know, I'm a Spotify customer. I get a mix served up every day, right, on my, uh, uh, you know, in, in my account, you know, and it's based on music that I like, unless my kids plug into my account and then it's, it's <laughs> like... From personal like, experience, that's like, a risk. You know, Ariana Grande shows up right in the middle, <laughs> um, but um, but for the most part, you know, they they know my taste, and the same the, the the same is with Amazon, right? They recommend products all the time to me that are based on my taste, so we know that the technology is there. So I, I'm starting to wonder though, as we as we kind of move forward and we recognize that the employee experience can be, you know, needs to be more personalized. It's certainly more important. The same with the candidate experience. I'm starting to wonder if 
this function belongs somewhere else in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why wouldn't you put this function underneath the office of the customer experience, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, because to me, th- they're interchangeable. They really are. Yeah. So, so you know, a, a, cu- a couple of thoughts on that. So when you think about the, uh, the candidates uh, and as potential employees, your strongest advocates of your brand are typically your employees, right? And you know you have you go through a bad experience as a candidate, and you're going to be less likely to mm-hmm. shop with mm-hmm. that particular mm-hmm. brand. Yeah, it, it's just a it's just a fact of, you know, your experience. You go in again, go company X, and boy, they treated me terribly, mm-hmm. and so forth. Now I'm in the marketplace as a customer, and what am I thinking? Oh, yeah, com- company X. Yeah. Um, so it's the so emotion th- attached to that, right? It, it is, and and again, at the end of the day, it's it's about treating the candidates and the associates as people. And I'll, I'll take your customer analogy one step further. So I talked earlier when you asked me what I did, it's about innovation, enabling innovation and measuring and informing with analytics. So not mm-hmm. only, you're spot on, Chris, the technology is there, the data is there as well. So mm-hmm. when we first we talk about associates, I know if you're married, I know how many kids you have, I know where you live, I know your bank account, I know a lot of information about you. Right. And your every associate correct me if I'm wrong, is a known individual, yes. unlike an anonymous shopper. Right. I, I should. I think I know who every, and it's a defined set. We have 500 employees. Mm-hmm. I have 500 people I need to worry about. So it's a little bit easier task than trying to understand all of your potential customers. Yeah. So, so that's one piece on it. The second major advantage that we have is, and I'll think, again, forget our remote employees for a mm-hmm. second, but we can still see them with Skype and so forth. I get to see my employees every day. I could interact with them as human beings. Mm-hmm. I get to understand if one associate has a loved one who just had a cancer diagnosis right. or someone has a, a child who just uh, got a four-year scholarship to college mm-hmm. or you name the life event, positive or negative, that that associate is dealing with. So I now have a lot of the behavioral information that in the customer standpoint, I don't understand why didn't you do something? Maybe it's one of these personal things going on outside of the sphere of the data and the information I have. But as an associate, I've got all that stuff. And as a candidate, I have much of it. Right. Because, again, you're identified. Mm-hmm. You've given me your resume. You're LinkedIn. I can ask you lots of questions. I can get all the information to really give you a really genuine and personalized experience mm-hmm. when you're working with my company. Yeah, I, th- there's no doubt about it. I mean, when you, when you think inside of the organization, you know, you, you could you could do a couple of different slices, right? Like one is benefits. Um, uh, you know, I- is there a way to look at benefits through the lens of life cycle stages, right? Or life absolutely. stages. Absolutely. Um, so is that kind of one, um, uh, you know, spectrum you could you could focus on? The other might be development and career. And again, I mean, th- there are probably different life stages um, there as well, and and so it just makes you wonder, you know, could you could you look at your organization in a new way, um, and you know, offer solutions or variations of what you're doing um, internally to kind of meet people where they are. A- absolutely, and and it, that goes with the relationship that you have. So I'll just talk about myself as a simple example. I graduated college. And I was the guy who my aspiration was to be the CEO. Mm-hmm. It was it was all about promotions and getting the next project and the project because it gave more visibility for the next promotion, for the next promotion. That was what I cared about. And, and those changed when I got married, when I had kids, when I had different roles and so forth. So, 
you maintain a relationship with your associates, you understand that their motivations are changing. And right. you stay with them to stay relevant. You don't say, well, I knew five years ago Dave was really interested in X. Mm-hmm. So let's make sure he's on that track and we're going to help him get to X. Well, when's the last time you talked to me about that? Maybe right. X has changed. Right. But if we have a relationship, especially as, as my boss, who I'm interacting with frequently, who understands. I think I might have told you this story, uh, Chris. Earlier in my career, I used to get upward feedback, as many of us did. And one individual on my team for a couple of years straight gave me the worst upward feedback that you could get. You know, I was, I, for, you know, what, it was a one-to-five scale. What did they say? Well, I got like a zero. I think, I think nice. he even gave me negative. You've got to work hard to get a zero. Well, here, here's what he said. <laughs> Dave is an inefficient leader. He wastes the first 15 minutes of every team meeting talking about people's spouses and kids right, and, right. and all this kind of stuff. And we could be done every meeting in 45 minutes, but Dave just, he's inefficient. He's terrible. And I talked to him every time and I said, that's intentional. I actually care about the t- people I work with. I want to know you. I want to know if your kid, you know, won the Little League uh, baseball game or mm-hmm. whatever is going on at home. Do you have a dog? Is the dog sick? Did you just get a new puppy? Whatever. I want to know because I want to find those connections, right? Because, you know, if you just got a puppy, guess what? I just got a puppy. How's mm-hmm. your t- And we can connect over something that's not work. Build that relationship. And I think that is so important for people to do. And I was happy to get that negative feedback because mm-hmm. that, like that, that was intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that also gave me data points about that associate. About him. Yeah. Exactly. And how I could treat him as a leader differently from the other team members. Right. And that was my job as a leader. Right? A lot of leaders believe that when I get into an organization, I can't wait to be the boss because guess what? Right. We get to do it my way. Yeah. And that is so completely wrong because when I get to be the boss, that means my job is to enable the people that work for me, mm-hmm. which means I have to flex and I have to help. You know, this person loves to be yelled at and that motivates them. This person needs a little bit of hand-holding. This person, you say, hey, I'm going to tell you to go do A and you go do B, C, D, and E. Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody behaves differently. Yeah. So a good leader flexes to all of his or her team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it goes back. We were talking about, you know, what are the different – um, kind of spectrums you could you could look at to personalize the experience. I mean, I think one of them is leadership. Um, yeah. Now, you know, I, I won't say that this is new thinking. There was something called situational leadership years ago um, where it was exactly that, where you would flex to the, the situation that you found yourself in. I think what you're saying is a little bit different, though. It's, it's, it's how, how do you how do you flex to the, the individual preferences of someone? Um, by, you know, getting, getting to know those people. And because still today, I think in a, in a lot of organizations, when you look at leadership training, it's kind of one size fits all, right? This it, is how we look at leadership at this level, at this level, at this level. And the reality is, okay, that's great, but, you know, not all of that's going to apply to every person or how you deliver that to a you know person X might vary from person Y, so it would be interesting to kind of look at even leadership development from that perspective. Well, not, not only leadership development, but we, when we're talking about candidate and employee experience, I think one of the things that that I often see, and you know, I'll reference this lunch I was just at today because I saw a lot of slides on this as well. We just fall into these stereotypes of oh, the Gen Xers want this, the Millennials right. want that. Well, right. guess what? You know, just because we, we make it jeans and T-shirts doesn't mean that all the Gen Xers are going to like that. Right. Um, all the millennials, you know, they, want, they just want to be on TikTok and Snapchat all day long. Well, mm-hmm. Some of them do. 
but they're all in, they're also all individuals. Right. And there are millennials that want to be the CEO mm-hmm. and are driven and, you know, every flavor in between. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with any of them. Get to know the individual person. Right. Let's not stereotype people right. based on their age, demographic, you know, whether you've been with a company a long time. You know, we talk about candidates. Oh, these guys are coming out of right. Harvard and Stanford versus these guys came out of a, a, you know, a state school or right. a community college or something. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just let's talk about the individual. There's right. great candidates that come from all kinds of different mm-hmm. places. Yeah, we, we actually had a, a conversation about that a, on a prior podcast about um, uh, about how organizations use labels and categories to manage people more efficiently. I mean, that's essentially what it is. And again, it's it's asking that question: Who is this for? Right. So when you when you use the nine box tool, who is that for? Mm-hmm. Is it for the betterment of the employee? No. Um, uh, you know, when you use rating systems, who is that for? Well, it's typically for. HR, right, or, or or the hiring manager, but but for the most part, nobody really likes ratings, you know, giving them or being rated. Um, but but to your point, um, you know, about uh, generation, that's the that's the latest thing, right? And and trying to kind of blanket label certain generations as to what they like, what they don't like, what they're. That's I, I, my experience has been the same as yours. It's very hard to generalize, and it's much easier. To have an individual conversation with somebody, and, and what you realize is that it, people are people, and 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 personality types are, you know, fairly durable over time. And I mean, there are just certain traits within us, um, and some manifest themselves stronger in others, and some than others. And and you know, you just have to take the time to to figure that out. Yeah, Pete, Pete we you know, you and I, Chris, could do a, an interesting exercise. Um, we could walk over to a whiteboard and make a list of all the things where you and I are alike. And we'd have a pretty long list. And we can make a list of all the areas where we differ. And we would have an equally long list. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many of those things would fall into the simple buckets of saying, oh, these are people from Columbus. Right. These are guys. Right. These are guys in a certain age range. These are professionals, right? All this sort of standard demographic categorical buckets that we would just fall into when you start to understand us as individuals you start to say okay chris is a unique guy dave is a unique guy and if i care about them as a candidate as an employee as a friend as a customer and i spend the time to get to know them i'm going to get to understand the things that you know each of them like and dislike and so forth and be able to build good relationships i think at the end of the day that's what it all comes down yep. to is whether you're talking employees, candidates, personal friends, spouses, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you invest the time in a genuine and authentic way to show that you care and create a relationship that sp- I, I always talk about this spans the logos on your business cards. Mm-hmm. So I don't care about you because you have a certain logo or you work for my company or you once worked for my company. Do I care about you as a person? Uh, because we might work together in one day. Then we each go our separate ways. Maybe we'll get to work together again someday. Right. Same company or different company. Right. Who knows? Yeah. But if I build that relationship, then we have a foundation that, that lasts for a really long time that can span distances. It can also span uh, time. Right? Mm-hmm. If, if we happen to go six months, 12 months, two years between talking, you know, we'll pick it right back up because mm-hmm. we established such a strong foundation of a relationship. It wasn't transactional that, oh, you worked for me and did a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so yeah, I, I completely agree. And 
you know, I, I know we're going to come up on our time, but, you know, for those who, who are listening, particularly in, in recruiting or in HR, I think we have about three regular list, listeners right now. One of them's a 12-year-old neighbor of mine. He just thinks these are so cool for some reason. But I'll uh, tell you, we'll, we'll, we'll get four because I'll tell my mom about this. Oh, perfect. So yeah, yeah. A, we're going to get a fourth listener. Yeah, see, I told least. my parents, but they haven't <laughs> figured out how to press play yet. Um, uh, yeah, not, not judging the generations or anything, but uh, you know, they're, they're still trying to figure out how to listen. I'll, I'll, we're on that AM 1260, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, what I did want to ask you, though, um, is just a, a really practical question. So, you know, if you think about all the tools that you have and technology you have at your disposal to, um, to, to provide, you know, great customer experience advisement to your clients. What are some of those tools that recruiting organizations or HR organizations could just steal from that line of work and incorporate into what they're doing to drive a better candidate experience and a better employee experience? So I'm, I'm going to suggest just switching a word. Uh, instead of steal, I'm going to say leverage because okay. it's with knowledge. Cause, oh, uh, that's true. If, if you take it without me knowing, it's stealing. But if, if we give it away and, and support it, because there, there's just so many tips and techniques to do so. So um, the, the number one that I would talk about, and um, I, I just I love this woman's work. Um, I, I, I've shown you the book, Chris. Um, Barbara Kahn from the University of Pennsylvania, marketing professor at Wharton, uh, wrote a great book called The Shopping Revolution. And in oh, right. that, she And you cr- mentioned it on the panel, right? Not only did I mention it on the panel, I literally carry her book around Okay, with me got constantly. it. People were asking me about that book, yeah. so good. It's okay. The, it's The Shopping Revolution. And, and Barbara came up with her matrix. It was the Kahn Success Matrix that just had that two-by-two that talked about how do we increase pleasure and decrease pain. And again, the pleasure increases were about the brand and service, and the pain decreasers are around value and convenience. Mm-hmm. So simply take that model, forget that we're talking about customers, and change that word to current slash prospective employees. Mm-hmm. And ask yourselves a question. And, and this is a workshop, Chris. I, I do this with clients. We get into a workshop, and we say, okay, why do people work here? Right. Why are we in? A, why are we an employer of choice? Are we an employer of choice? And you take a look at why all the reasons that people work for your organization, and figure out is there one of those areas where we are going to differentiate ourselves? And there's nothing wrong with any strategy. So we are going to pay the highest wages out there. If that's our strategy, okay. And if we can make that work in a financial model, we're going to attract talent because we pay the most. Mm-hmm. If we are going to have be a purpose-driven organization, a company like REI comes to mind, right. and we are going to support everything about being outdoors and living outdoors and so forth, and that's why people want to move to Seattle and work for us, outstanding. But we're going to live that. But So figure out where you're going to compete. What's going to be your differentiator? How are you going to build your relationship? And then very self-critically, Evaluate yourself against the baseline expectation. And where you have gaps, you need to close those gaps. And and remember, you're going to have gaps for two reasons. Reason one is we are currently deficient. So if we think that um, maybe collaboration tools, uh, convenience is something that we don't support, we have to implement Slack. We need to implement Mm -hmm. uh, Skype. We need to get people more laptops. you You name it. If that's what we need to do, that's a technology to innovate to close that gap. 
But the other thing that we need to recognize is that we may have gaps in the future because those associate expectations, just like customer expectations, are constantly rising. Mm -hmm. And they're rising because our associates, A, we're customers, so we're out in the world, we're using technology, we're seeing things from a customer perspective and wondering why that doesn't happen in my company. But we also talk to friends that work at other companies. Mm -hmm. And it's not just insurance, looking at insurance, retail versus retail, et cetera. We We all have friends in multiple industries. So we're talking about all kinds of different amenities. So you've constantly got to be out there figuring out how do I raise my performance? And so when you figure that out, now you can create yourself a roadmap Mm -hmm. that says there are certain technologies, capabilities, processes that I need to implement, roll out, and equip my team with, both as my current and prospective employers, to close those gap, Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, employees, to close that gap. Likewise, you mentioned a couple times, I've got to be able to measure this stuff. What data am I gathering? What decisions do I need to make and how do I better inform those decisions to increase my decision-making confidence? Well, mm-hmm. those, those pieces of information that you need are called insights, and we create insights from analytics and data. And yep. so if we say, I'm missing this insight to make a better decision in hiring or retention or anything about the employee experience, let's go hire the data scientists and figure out how we can get those insights and make a better decision. Exactly. So again, the, the tool, I just I love it because it creates conversations. A simple two-by-two two matrix and you can, if you don't like the label of the four quadrants, if you think there's something else that we do that's special, great. Cross it off, put put a new label in there, but evaluate yourself against it. That, to me, is the biggest step one easy thing to do internally, um, and you can do it with an internal group. Um, you know, if you want, if you want some outside folks to help, you know, we, we both know of a few people that can uh, certainly yep. help you with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I'm convinced more than ever that. The candidate experience, the employee experience, God, it's just making a lot of sense to have that roll up underneath almost a commercial organization. I mean, I, I think they might do it really well. Um, heck, I mean, why, why stop there? Why not recruiting as well, right? That's, that's more sales and marketing than, Absolutely. than anything. Um, all right, well, listen, Dave, uh, we're not going to keep you, um, but uh, do appreciate you uh, coming in today, sharing your insights. Appreciate you being on the panel the other day as well. So we're here with, uh, with Dave Cherry. Dave uh, runs Cherry Advisory, um, where he, uh, he provides strategy, um, a lot of strategy work and some tactical work uh, as well, I assume, in the area of customer experience. And, and Dave, where can people reach you if they want to find you? Uh, best way to get me is, uh, I'll say email, Dave Cherry at cherryadvisory.com. Yeah, you can also go out to just uh, cherryadvisory.com. Also, uh, Twitter at Dave Cherry uh, is the best way to reach me. But uh, especially for folks around Columbus, uh, I'm a pretty easy guy to find and always happy to help and connect and uh, find me at my local Starbucks or anywhere around town or uh, having a good conversation trying to help people out. Yeah, I'm so surprised I haven't that. seen you around the neighborhood. That's yeah. so funny. I haven't seen you yet. I don't get out very much. Though. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, well, listen, thank you, everybody, yeah. for, for listening. Um, good episode today, and we will be back next time with another edition of Landed's Statement of Work podcast. Thanks, everybody.